Lord this morning. Father, thank you so much for the time of worship, the time of honoring those who are stepping in to serve, Eric and Mina. And God, thank you that we're here together worshiping. God, we do pray for our church body right now. I've had a number of reports of people not feeling well and COVID bouncing around through households. I know Pastor Russ is home not feeling well and and we want him recovered, but we also don't want him sharing it. So we're glad he's home. But God, we do pray for covering and blessing over his household. God, we pray grace over Jason, who's still recovering from all that is going on with him. We pray healing, God, a release of healing. And God, for those that I don't know to mention or who are going through a variety of different things, we just pray that you would touch, heal, restore, strengthen us in this season. God, as we look at the church at Sardis this morning, it's telling and a little bit scary. God, I pray that we would have um, honest hearts, introspective hearts, uh, non-defensive hearts. God, I pray that you would speak by your spirit that which we need to pay attention to, and then you would encourage us with this idea that you're a God of providence, and you don't let us sit in darkness. You'll call it out so that we can walk in light. So God, give us listening ears, anoint my words as I preach, and give us grace to learn this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Revelation chapter 3. If you have paper, flick it, because I love that sound. For those of you on phones, whatever, uh, you know, just turn off your text message. I'm playing with y'all. Um, and if you're online, Revelation chapter 3, we're going to be jumping into the church of Sardis. Um, by way of review, just a little bit of review, and then we're going to jump straight in. You know, in these studies, we've been studying through um, the seven churches in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3. Now, what's important about this is when you study the book of Revelation, these two chapters are the two that directly apply to us. Like, they're, of the whole book, believe it or not, the rest of the book is all future. It's all prophetic. Very little of it directly applies to us. These chapters directly apply to us. Now, when we look at these churches, somebody asked me a question last week. Hey, do you think the historic thing... So I want to make sure that I'm clear. These are literal churches. Somebody say literal. That, in other words, they actually existed back in Jesus' day. So way back in the first century, these were actual churches. They were in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, um, and there's seven of them. What's interesting is only one of them actually has a letter written to it. That's Ephesus. Then you have Sardis and Pergamum and Thyatira and, and the rest. We're going to cover all of them in the coming weeks. Um, but I, they're literal churches. So they were inexistent, and they were functioning churches. So when when Jesus has given John the Revelation, they are taking messages back to literal churches, okay? Also, these churches are figurative. What does that mean? That they're types of every single church. Like over and over, Jesus says, let him who has ear, ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. In other words, so the message of to Ephesus, losing your first love, that's for us. The message about being married to the world, that's for us. And I would also suggest to you this, that every single church, every church, somebody say every church, has aspects of these tenets in every single church. Maybe it's 70% versus 3% versus 10%, but everybody has these things happening in their church. Not all of them are healthy, by the way. Only two churches didn't get rebukes. Five of them did. Watch, two of them didn't get a commendation. We're going to study one that didn't even get a way to go this morning, which is scary to me. I would hate to think that I've spent my years doing ministry, that we spent our years together worshiping to get to the end of that and have God go, uh, yeah, you're dead. Wow, wouldn't that be awful? You know the challenge about this? Is that if you're dead, you don't know you're dead. 
I'm not even there yet. Oh, I'm just warming you up. Hold on. I'll get, I'll get there in a second. So they're, they're figurative types of churches. They're also historic. In other words, and, and this was initiated by Schofield. I did a little research, and it, it appears that he was the first scholar that came up with the idea that these various seven churches fit timelines of history within the church world. So last week, we got all the way up to the Reformation. This week, it's going to go from about 1517 to about 1750. This is known as the period of Reformation. Now watch, this is kind of scary, or the dead church. Now what's interesting about this is if you study this period of time, so I need to be careful. Remember I told you, if it's my opinion, I'll tell you this is my opinion. Okay, so this is Pastor James's opinion. One of the best things that came out of this window in church history was this attention to, to doctrine and scripture, to theology. So how many of you guys ever heard of John Calvin? This period, Martin Luther? This period, these are theologians, John Knox? This period, these are all reputable guys who studied the scriptures diligently. Also though, I would add to this, this is the opinion part. It's also the most edgy aspect of the Christian community. We're right, everybody else is wrong. So they, like most reformists don't believe in the ministry of the Spirit at all, as an example. Now, we're a charismatic church. We believe in the ministry of the Spirit. But they would go so far as to say, we don't only disagree with you. We think you're evil. Now, so there's dangers in this. Listen, I, I said it last week. We need to be charitable with all aspects of the church body. And we need to be gracious when there's differences. Like, I, I don't necessarily lean to some of their theology, nor do they mine, but I still honor them as Jesus lovers. It's only when you start to mess with Jesus that I stop and go, that's not Christian. That's not actually honoring God at any level. So this period, really weird period of church history because it has some really great things, like there was an attention to theology, a pushing back against the Catholic Church. This is purgatory and praying to the saints and praying to Mary. They pushed back against that. Indulgences, buying forgiveness. But then they got so edgy that nobody else wanted to. And next week we get to get into the, like one of the most fun aspects is the, the reformations, the great awakenings. Have you guys ever heard of the Great, great Awakenings? That's a commercial for next week. You just got to come next week. I'm going to talk about it next week. But man, there was a release of God's spirit in the mid-1700s all the way through the modern day, actually, that is unprecedented in church history. We'll talk about it a little bit next week. Somebody said, I hate it when you do that. Well, you got to come. I don't know what to say to you. You got to come next week. So um, Sardis is known as the dead church, though. They were very rigid in decrees, but they had no life. So they were right with the wrong motive. That makes sense? So Sardis was also a very wealthy church. Um, it was known for the dyeing of wool. So they were known for making like material, textiles, carpets and that. So when we read this, think like this. These are people who understand material. Jesus is going to say stuff like white garments and things like that because he understands they understand. Um, they also were known because of the river uh, Patkalus. It, it was plentiful with gold and silver. Um, this is actually kind of interesting. It's one of the first cities that minted coins. So this, this city actually dates back about seven or 800 years prior to Jesus' arrival. They were conquered by everybody, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. So they would rise and fall. Then it was devastated by earthquakes and pestilence. But it, they had a ruler. His name was Midas. Had anybody ever heard the name Midas? Now, in Greek and Roman mythology, Midas is somebody who, like, he wanted everything to be gold, and then he got, like, all full of himself, and his food was gold, and he couldn't eat it, so he started to starve to death. This is Greek mythology, by the way. And so he goes into, uh, who was the god? Oh, shoot, I'm spacing off the top of my head. Goes to one of their gods, and God says, hey, go wash in the river, 
Pot, how do you say that? I'm saying it wrong. The river that I just mentioned. Go wash in the river. And the idea is that because he washed, there's gold in the river. That's the mythology. The reality was he was an actual guy. He was a real ruler. And he was known for making wealth, minting coins. He was prosperous. So when you hear the story of like, man, that person's got the Midas touch because they can turn things into prosperity. He was a literal guy who actually ruled this literal area, this literal city. So the Midas touch, it's not only myth, he was a literal person. Like I said, they were conquered by the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, decimated by earthquakes and also pestilence. Um, the initiation of this particular period of church history started when Martin Luther nailed his thesis to the, the wall in the Wittenberg Church in Germany. I encourage you guys, go Google the 95th thesis, Luther's thesis. It's miraculous reading, marvelous reading. But basically it's this, only scripture we're not going to lead to church tradition. Now, I want to speak to something really quickly. I'm not a Catholic basher. I'm not. I grew up Catholic. I know Catholics. Many of my family members are Catholic. Many of them love Jesus, not the tradition. But Catholicism in this period of time, when they were separating out from the church saying, we think this is wrong, this isn't scripturally driven, they started something called ex cathedra, which means from the chair. And the meaning of that is that the Pope's voice is as authoritative as God. So when you see stuff happening within the Vatican today, which is very political, by the way, when you see that sort of stuff, you have to understand that that comes out of a doctrine that their word is higher than the scriptures, which means that they can promote homosexual theology, they can promote abortion if they choose to, multiple marriage, all that sort of stuff. So when you see stuff that doesn't line up with scripture, it's because there is a thought within the Catholic Church that the Pope's voice is more authoritative than the word of God. That was the nature of Luther's thesis. He said, I'm not okay with this. This contradicts the scriptures and it's wrong. So I want to just encourage you, read that stuff. It's important to know, like what you mo most of you don't understand is the church you worship in today was born out of Luther's brave, bravery. His willingness to walk in and say, organized religion that dishonors God is, is wrong and we should do something about it. Incidentally, they, they tried to kill him, and then they excommunicated him, and he kept doing so. The Lutheran Church, Methodism came out of this. There's lots of great movements. Not all of it is bad, but there is definitely a period of church history that was in just conflict. It's a very, very difficult season of church history. So let's go ahead, jump in. Verse 1, I'm going to continue to explain, do a little bit of background, then we're going to go, go through the, the five areas, the description, the correction, and so forth um, to the church at Sardis. So Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church of Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God, the seven stars, says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you're dead. Oh, man. So wait, wait, I just got to play with you just a little bit. How many of you guys feel like your faith is alive? Come on, show me hands. I'd like to think that all of you in the room would raise your hand and go, dialed in with Jesus. I struggle a little bit because I'm human. I sin every now and again, but I love God. How many say, I love God? Raise your hand, I. Prove me, come on. Some of you are like, I don't know, I'm searching it out. Some of you are like, I ain't raising my hand because the pastor told me. Anyways, it's all good. Listen, if I walked up to you with your hand raised and I said, oh yeah, I see your hand raised. You know that Jesus thinks you're dead? That's this church. They think they're doing great. They don't think there's anything wrong. Incidentally, every single one of the churches that we've discussed so far, and the ones that we will discuss, 
were surprised at the correction and they were surprised at their commendations. All of them were. Listen, I prayed a lot today, this week, the last few weeks actually. God, this one's tough. Is this us at all? Is this happening in Summit at all? Are we dead? Are we dead? You know, I was um, going to Vegas one time, and yeah, you can forgive me later. I wasn't going to gamble. It was, it was, I was young and single. It was one of those, like, if we used to have this rule, all my, my childhood buddies, and, and these were like 50-50, save people, not save people. If you were together and you didn't have to work the next day and somebody called a Vegas run, you had to go. No, it was, it was fun. Like, we'd all load into a car, and we'd head off to Vegas, and we'd eat $6 prime rib and come back. And, and if you didn't have money, one of us would front you food. If you had money to gamble, go have a ball. Most of us didn't have money in those days, so none of us gambled. We just did it for the road trip, for the fun. Well, on the way, we came across an accident. It, it was gruesome. I won't get into the details. But somebody was thrown from the car in the accident. And when we ran up on her, what do you think was the first thing we did? No, no, we weren't smart enough to pray. We checked for her pulse. We checked to see if she was alive or dead. That's what we checked. See, that's how we should be thinking about this letter. There's been a catastrophic accident. You were in it. Are you alive or dead? See, none of us puts ourselves into this category. Neither did they. So when we read this letter, I want you to have an open heart. God, are you speaking to me right now? Is there any area of my life that I've grown cold to you, that I've compromised, that I've actually become dead? Where I, Listen, your pastor is telling you when I did that with myself, I don't like the report card I got. God showed me lots of areas where I'm not passionate, where I used to be hungry to see things happen and I'm not hungry anymore. I mean, it was pretty correcting. You guys ever have those moments with God where you're like, eesh, and then you think, geez, I thought I was doing better than that, Jesus. And then, okay, I'm getting ahead in my notes, but whatever. I got 31 minutes. (laughs) Good luck. No, okay. He's showing me stuff that that he's saying, hey, I want you to tune this area up. I want you to raise, I want you to make this a priority again. And I'm feeling like crud because anytime Jesus corrects you, you know, you feel kind of like, darn, thought I was doing. Yeah. And then he said, he said this to me, this is what I love about God. He said, I'm telling you this because I want you to be successful. I don't want you to not shine light well. I'm I'm not telling you because I'm mad. I'm telling you to help you. See, some of us have an idea that God is telling us this because he's upset with us. That's not what's going on. He's wanting you to be fruitful and successful and filled. It's not condemnation. It's conviction. It's correction. So, So listen, listen. When you look at this church at Sardis and you talk about dead things, Sardis was known for having a huge cemetery. It's actually called the necropolis. Necro in the Greek is the word death. Necropolis is city. So Sardis, listen, is literally the city of death. So when God is talking to them, they are well aware that the name of the place that they exist in has the biggest cemetery, and they're understanding the language. They're getting this. He's calling them out on something, and they're understanding we literally are the city of death. So what's the description of Christ in this one? It says this, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds, your name, that you're alive, but you're dead. Now, this number seven shows up over and over and over in this book. Seven is the number of what, church? Perfection, Perfection completeness, technically. 
completeness. So when, like, God created the earth in seven days, that he, it's a complete work. So when I read this, I went, wow, that's kind of confusing. Are there seven Holy Spirits? No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the seven spirits is seven complete expressions of the Spirit of God. And he's referencing a passage in Isaiah chapter 11, which I'm going to read a couple verses and kind of break that down for you a little bit. So Isaiah 11, verses 2 and 3, it says that the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. He's speaking of the Spirit of God and how it will rest on Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he'll delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, nor make any decisions by what he hears. So there's seven expressions there. The first one is this, the spirit of the Lord, literally the spirit of Yahweh, the spirit who is I am, the all-becoming one. Now, you guys will remember when we studied Exodus, Moses said, man, God, I want to know your name. And he says, I am, which literally is this, I was... I am, and I will be. L listen, so what does that mean? I think we had a prophetic word during worship that said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, which means this, I was with you when the pain happened. I'm with you while you're grieving over it, and I'll be with you when there's joy. That's what it means. I'll never leave. I'll always be with you in the journey. It goes on to say the spirit of wisdom, literally prudence. Now, this isn't just smarts in the natural. This is something imparted by the spirit of God. It also the spirit of understanding. This is discernment, the ability to see something and read it as God would read it. So it's, it's really important that, I love something that I heard, I think it was Greg Laurie said, say, he said, you know, he said, wisdom is knowledge practiced. So when you know something, you know you can still be a fool. You can know the right thing to do and not what? Do it. So he's saying, listen, I, I want you to understand all of these things, though, they're releases of the spirit of God on you. He's the spirit of counsel, advice, purpose, direction. He's the spirit of strength. Listen, this is literally the word that means the mightiness of God. How many of you guys want the mightiness of God operating in your life? Can somebody please say amen? I, like, I, man, I'm just, I got it, I got it. Like somebody said, you're a transparent pastor. I know it's terrible because I look stupid sometimes. I am realizing how much I don't trust God. Man. You know, it's funny, when you start to really study what Jesus thinks about churches that are, like, historic, they existed, they made movements for the gospel, they, they touched the then-known world, and, and he's talking to you with language that's 2,000 years old. And I just kind of go, man, God, I just want to do better. I'm going to talk to you some about how to do better in this sermon. My encouragement is going to be like, just because Jesus has given you a D on your report card, or perhaps an F, doesn't mean that he's going to leave you without tutoring. That's the Spirit's job. That, that's kind of literally what he's saying. Like, you want to lean into his strength, his counsel, his might, his knowledge, his ability to perceive and understand. And then in the last thing is this, in the spirit of fear, which literally means reverence, to honor God as God, I, I love something I read. He was talking about the, the second commandment and, you know, don't take the Lord's name in vain. I think it's second, third, second. I think it's the second. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Most of us think that's a cuss word. Don't say, say GD or something. That, that's not what it is. It means when you take God's person, his mightiness, his authority, and you lower it and you make it common. You make it vain, unimportant. 
Listen, I would suggest to you that probably a lot of us do that because we don't reverence God. We make him familiar, friendly, easy to get along with, but we have a difficult time making him Lord. God, what are you saying? What do you want me to do? And then he tells you something. You go, oh, I don't really want to do that. Okay, then he's not Lord. You're not operating with reverence, fear, holiness. It's important that you, you realize that the Spirit is the one who's at work. So I got a question for you. Are you Spirit-led? See, this is where this goes for me. Like, are you walking in the Spirit? If you're going to talk about the Spirit, are you walking in the Spirit? Are you Spirit-led? And how can you know? Now, I'm not trying to be exhaustive when I say this. Just giving you some thoughts, some ideas, some things you might want to consider. So my first one is this. Are you listening? Are you listening? Like he speaks, it's still, it's small, but this is one of the things I noticed for myself this week praying. I talk a lot. How many of you guys talk to God a lot? Come on, let's just, let's just be honest. Talk to God. You know, I just, man, I'm always talking to Jesus. I don't understand. She's crazy. You told me to marry. She's crazy. She's not here, so I can pick on her today. And she's crazy. You told me to love her. Okay, I love her. You know, whatever. You can make up whatever you want. You're just like, man, this is nuts, God. You're talking so much that you're never hearing what he says. How do you know if you're spirit-led? When was the last time God spoke to you? When was the last time you could say, I opened up a scripture and he showed me something? I opened up the Bible. I listened to a sermon. I was driving to work, and the radio station changed, and all of a sudden, I was listening to something that was in God, scrolling social media, and this guy came on. He said, man, give God some devotion today. I don't know how he speaks to you. He speaks in a lot of different ways. Maybe a friend called out of the blue. Man, I was praying for you. I actually had that happen this week. I was thinking about you. How are you? Actually, doing okay, but I was so grateful that he put me on somebody else's heart. See, are you spirit-led? Are you listening? Are you letting them speak? Listen, my encouragement would be this to you. Sit down with pen and paper and say, God, I'm here. Talk. I'm listening. Speak now for your servant is listening. Write down what he says. And I do this with people all the time when I disciple them. Write down whatever you hear. They're like, you want me to write down whatever? Yeah, what if I'm thinking about coffee? Write down coffee. What if I'm thinking about the scripture? What if Aunt Gertrude comes in? Write it down. Just write it down. Because it may be your thought. It might be God's. Because you can pray through the list when you're done to get a sense of was it you or was it him. But I know this. that when I, I did this this morning. I'm being really honest. I did this this morning. I thought I'm going to teach you guys this. I'm going to do it. Sat down and I wrote. And I sat there and I went, oh, got to remember to fix the car. Got to remember to register the car. That's what's going on in my brain. I'm pretty sure those weren't God's thoughts. But they were distracting me. Then once I dumped all of those off, now I'm listening. He's like, what are you going to bring the church this morning, James? I'm like, you? Going to bring them you? How are you going to do that? Worship. I want to make sure that, and then he starts saying this, I don't want a lot of correction today. Tell them the gospel is good. It's really good. Even my correction is really what? Good. That's the good news, that he took you out of darkness and put you into light. I listen. I write. That's, so the first thing, are you listening? Take some notes. Sit with God. Write down. The second thing is this. Are you moving in faith or fear? They, they're like, these are just me praying. They're not exhaustive. Are you moving in faith or fear? Listen, when the Spirit will lead you, there's always a sense of peace about it. It doesn't mean that the circumstances will be easy. 
It means that you'll have a sense of, like, I had a meeting with somebody this week, and when the meeting was done, I said to my wife, I have no peace about that meeting, which means this. There's something about it I don't understand that God wants me to. So now I pray, and I seek, and I listen, and I wait. So I didn't see it as evil. I just thought, man, why, but why is that so important? Because fear is always rooted in yourself. It's always rooted in self. Listen, instead of love. God wants you to be otherly, wants you to be rooted in love. 1 John 4.18, it says this. There is no fear in love. Say, no fear in love. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears, he's not perfected in love. So there's no fear in love. Fear is also rooted in self instead of sonship. So, so you move away from love and you also act like an orphan instead of a child of God. And Paul said it this way in Romans 8.15. You guys can scratch notes if you want to. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. Term of endearment, intimate. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs also. And if we're heirs of God, then we're fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we walk with him, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So listen, if you're, if you're operating in fear instead of faith, what's going to happen is you're going to move away from love and you're not going to know your identity as a child, a son or a daughter of God. Those. The third one is this, just things, again, that, that contribute to this, this sense of needing to discover the Spirit's presence. Are you Spirit-led? Is there peace present in your life? Do you have peace in your life? This one is really important. See, because peace is a key element to God's presence and His direction. It's both. Watch, watch. John 14, 27. Jesus said this, Peace I leave you, and my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, agitated literally, nor let it be fearful. If you're walking in the Spirit, you're not operating in fear. See, a lot of times we think this, the opposite of faith is unbelief. The opposite of faith is fear. Opposite is fear. So if you're operating in fear, then you're often not walking in the Spirit or being Spirit-led. When Jesus is saying this peace I leave you, he's depositing the spirit with them. He's talking about you're going to have the comforter to lead and guide you in everything. So it's very important that we understand that. Is there peace present? That's another question. Philippians 4.7 says this, And the peace of God which surpasses comprehension, it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Like, Listen, this is when things are crazy. How many of you guys got a little crazy going on in your life right now? Come on, we can all raise our hands. We got life going on. That means there's crazy going on because there's good, there's bad, there's ugly, there's fun, there's hard, there's all of those things. But he says, listen, if you're walking in the Spirit, the peace of God will surpass what you're looking at, what you can comprehend, see. And it brings you into a place of settling into who God is and walking with Him in the journey and discovering His peace and leadership. And the last one is this, Isaiah 26, verse 3. He says, the steadfast mind you will keep in perfect peace, listen, because He trusts in you. Remember, the opposite of faith is fear. When you operate in faith, he says he'll keep you in perfect peace. So those are just a few ways that you can check, am I spirit-led? Am I discerning? Like, it's not exhaustive. It wasn't intended to be. This was just me praying, God, what do you want to say to this church, this group of folks this morning to encourage them, 
just questions that you can run through your own heart. Now, the next thing, so we see who Christ was, the one who holds the seven stars with the seven spirits of God. Now, now we get to the commendation for Sardis. Here's the saddest thing ever. There's no commendation. There's no way to go. Not a single thing was said positively about Sardis. So imagine just for a moment, Jesus walks into some and you're like, Woo, that's my church. I love this place. When we greet each other after worship, we hug and pastor goes like, man, you guys sit down. You're taking my time. It's going so long. But I love these people. And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, dead. You're dead. Got nothing going on. No life in you whatsoever. None of us sitting in this room think that right now. Not a single one. None of us are thinking my faith is not alive at all. It's totally in my churches in left field. At least I hope you don't think that. Why would you be going here if you did? Anyways, <laughs> just saying none of us is looking at it like that. None of us. My encouragement is take an honest assessment. What is God saying about it? What about what God is saying? No commendation. Listen, Jesus, who's the biggest encourager ever, has nothing good to say. Whew. That's scary to me. Because it makes me think, God, where's our church? What are we doing? What, what would you come and you would say, this actually represents my heart versus, well, you bought a Christmas gift for an orphan. Great. Good thing. Not a bad thing, right? But you forgot to worship me. You forgot to honor me. You forgot to call out sin and chase it out of the body. You just allow things that are not God-honoring in the church. And I, I'm grateful that, that I don't believe we're doing that at all. I don't think we are. But at the same time, I didn't take that lightly. I sat back and went, God, where have we made this a marketplace? Where have we made the, the house of worship, the house of prayer, a place that's common? Would Jesus walk in and flip the tables today? Would he walk in and say, way to go? Come on, just be honest for a second. If Jesus walked into the, the room of your heart, would he flip the tables right now? Or would he say, way to go? I hope so. She's like, whoo, Holy Spirit sitting in the front room. Yep, he'd say. But what would he say? See, I would like to think he'd walk in and go, wow, wow, they're, they're honoring the Father. They're worshiping the Son. They're walking in the Spirit. That's what, I, that's what I'd like. And I'd like to think that we're somewhere in that realm. But what about you personally? Is there some dead things in there? Is there some stuff that maybe God is saying, Pay attention to it. So he comes to the rebuke. This is actually, in my opinion, this is the severest of the rebukes in the church. Actually, Laodicea is a pretty close second, though. I'm just saying we'll get there in a few weeks. Actually, we might get there after the, the new year because we'll do some Christmas stuff. But the rebuke is this. Watch this. This is verses 1 and 2 together. It says, The angel of the church of Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, he says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you're alive. In other words, your reputation says that you're living, but you're dead. So what were they resting on if they were alive and God thought they were dead? I'm going to suggest they were resting on wealth, history, success. Sounds like America, a little bit. They weren't honoring God. They were honoring themselves. He says, you have a name that you're alive but you're dead. And he says, wake up, strengthen the things that remain, which are about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. 
Whew. I want you to notice a few things. First, just let me, let me walk through a few things. Deeds. This is like business, employment, undertaking. These are the main things that a church should be doing. He's saying your main things are not main. Like, like uh, man, I think that churches can get off target really easily. I think that we can make things fun that aren't spiritual. They're not evil. They're just not God-honoring. They're just there. I think it's easy to do that. Like I was talking to somebody, a young pastor um, up the mountain last week, and, and we were just kind of going around, and we are going back and forth, and I said, listen, I said, decide early on what a service looks like for you. And he goes, well, what do you mean? I said, for me, every service looks like this. I don't care if it's a home group. I don't care if it's the men's Bible study, the women's Sunday. It doesn't matter what it is. There's going to be worship. There's going to be the word. And there's going to be the word. Should we do worship in our small group? We don't have a worship leader. I said, yeah, that's what like iTunes is for. YouTube. You know what it does? This is the power of worship. You put it on with even people that don't sing and are not skilled. They don't, they don't, you put it on and you say, hey, just a couple songs, we're going to sit. And you watch his piece kind of just. So all the busyness, you're running, you're getting kids somewhere. You're trying to get dinner before you go to small group. Whatever it is, you're running, you're going, you're going. Worship happens, you go, okay, uh, now I'm ready to hear the word. It settles your spirit. See, those are things that what's important. What are the things that you're doing? Are they the main thing? He says, you think that you're alive, literally, that you have the vibrancy of life, but you're necros, you're lifeless, you're dead. So I used to work in restaurants. I think you guys know that. I ran them for a lot of years. And, but when I was a kid, I was a cook. So that's how I started. I was a, a trainer for Chili's. We went around open stores. And so one night we were trying to get out of the building fast because I wasn't saved yet. And there was a party that was happening. I wanted to get there. So I got up on this thing and I start scrubbing the grill. And I stand on a milk crate because I want to get more leverage. And the thing breaks and I fall on the grill. It was very painful. I had third degree burns on my hand. So I, I felt it was terrible. I won't go detail. It was gross too. And so I go to get this treated. Well, one of the things that they do when you get a severe burn is they remove, listen, the necrotic dead tissue. Remember, necro, necropolis, dead city, dead tissue. When they were doing it, oh, God. I, like I said, I almost punched a nurse one day. She was sweet, but it was painful. Oh, it's painful. They're removing scar tissue on a severe burn. You know, when they were doing it, I thought it was the most painful and the worst thing ever. I, every day, I had to go daily, and I, and I dreaded going. I dreaded going. The detail, I'm not trying to be gross. So for those of you who are like, ooh, don't tell more, I won't, be, I won't be gross. The process of healing was show up at the doctor, put your hand in a body temperature tub of betadine, antiseptic, and soak it for 20 minutes, followed by the removal of the tissue. I won't go into detail, very painful. While it was happening, I hated every second of it. But you know what? They told me if you didn't do that, you wouldn't be able to make a fist. If you didn't do that, if you look at my hand, there's no white on my hand. They did a really good job. You, you can, if you look really close, you'll be, oh, a little white dot. They, they did a really good job. So the process was painful, but the healing was thorough. Listen, if Jesus is calling out death in your life, the process is what? Painful. But the healing is what? It's thorough. Don't resist those things. When God says it's dead, let him bring it back to life. Amen?
So don't, don't take this stuff and go, oh, man, he's saying, listen, you think you're alive, but you're really dead. You know, take an honest assessment. He said this, wake up. You ever been startled awake, like the weird dream, big noise, something happens, clash, boom, and you're like, oh, you feel like, oh, my gosh. He's saying it should be that important. I'll get to it eventually. I know God's telling me, pay attention. I know he's saying, get up and read my Bible, but I get it. Man, it was, it was cold this morning, though, Pastor. Like, I went to get out of bed, but I was cozy. I just told on all of you. <laughs> if God is saying it's dead and he wants to bring it to life, then get out of bed. Wake up. Strengthen the things that remain. Make sure that that which remains, the stable stuff, the worthwhile stuff, the stuff worth keeping, strengthen it. Don't ignore that stuff. Build on it. Like, I love this. I, I was doing a bunch of reading on leadership, and they'll tell you this. How many of you guys have strengths? You don't have to be like a falsely humble. How many of you guys are good at something? Come on, put your hands up. Everybody got a skill in the room? You're like, no, I stink at everything. Jesus doesn't love me. Everybody's got a what? A skill. You know that if you're good at leadership, they'll say spend 90 to 95% of your, your, your time on the stuff you're good at. That's crazy. Like You're like, but I got this like, yeah, I can play basketball, but I can't go left. They're like, then go right. I don't play basketball. Like, look at me. Come on, really? I'm just using that as an example. I, but they say lean to your strengths. Strengthen. That's biblical. Strengthen that which remains. The stuff that's complete. It literally means I want you to be complete. He says your works aren't complete. How do you know if works are complete? This word in the Greek literally means to overflow. You can't measure it. So I got a question for you. Are your believing works, your Christian works, your service for God, is it overflowing so much that you can't count it? Oh, maybe, maybe we're a little dead. I don't know, just maybe. No, no, maybe we're not paying attention to it. I like this, not yet. Maybe. Listen, can I tell you something straight up? If you put no energy into it, nothing will change. Nothing. This is like, um, I want to get skinny, but you eat cake. I want to get fit, but you never get on a bike or do anything. You just told on me twice. Anyways, I, I, name, name whatever it is. I want to be more spiritual, but you're too busy to show up to church or to serve anything. I don't know. I, I think we're all busy. Somebody say amen. American culture is stupid busy. You just got to get that. But we all make reasons for why we will or won't be somewhere, listen, this is important, that God has called you to be. Like some of you ignore the gifting of God out of convenience, lifestyle, wealth, pursuit of happiness that, that is not, listen, joyful. Big difference between happiness and joy, church. Big difference. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Happiness is the meal I ate last night because it made my tummy happy. That's not lasting. Joy is lasting. So I've got a question for you. How many of you are resisting the call of God on your life? How many of you are saying no when God is saying to say yes? These are ways you can measure, am I alive or dead? Oh, man, I always wanted to do this thing for God. Okay, did you make yourself available? Listen, I'll take availability over skill all day long because somebody available wants to learn and grow. They want to. They show up. They Listen, they show up when they don't have to. I'm going to brag on my daughter right now. I'm really proud of Bella. Some of you guys haven't seen Bella around. Bella got pulled into an internship at a church in the high desert. 
really excited for her. She's on the hip of one of the, the female pastors, and she's everywhere all the time. She's in the prayer meetings. She's in, like, she's just all over the place. She was on their Christmas float yesterday. So we went out, there, even though I don't like parades, I went out there, oh, that's my kid, hi. I don't like parades. They're just, I don't know. The coffee was good. I'm so, I'm so proud of her. Watch. She keeps saying yes. She just keeps saying yes. They're like, hey, Bella, can you? Yeah. Hey, Bella, will you? Yeah. And so I'm, I'm there the other day because I went to visit something. I'm, I'm telling you guys this, these aren't notes. I'm running out of time. I've got to hurry now. I'll finish this, then I'll jump in. We'll go. I went to visit something that was going on. And this is what I heard over and over. Your daughter is such a blessing. Your daughter is so, man, there's just such a purity in her. See, she's just so sweet. Man, she just helps everywhere. She's, and I'm like, that's my kid. Yeah. Watch, 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 watch. Get the point. That's what God thinks. When we say yes to him, that's, what he, that's my kid. Look at them. They, they're getting it. That's my, they're saying yes. They're saying yes. I remember the first time I said yes to, to teach in a Bible study. It was like the Evelyn Wood speed reading course. I was so nervous. So nervous. Um, and it was terrible. Like, it was not like, there was no connection. It was terrible. But I said what? Yes. That, that's, that's a because God sits back and goes, he's not looking at how perfect you do it. He's looking at the, that you're willing. That you're not saying no over and over and over and over. He's given all of us gifts and talents. Listen, you get, you get 60, 80 years on this earth, you know, if you just live out your life, something like that. You got all eternity to play and enjoy. Make, make a difference here. Make a difference here. Don't just make your life the centerpiece. Make God's life in you the centerpiece. Okay, I, I beat that thing to death. We good? And then Jesus goes on when he's saying, listen, your work should abound. They should overflow. And then he says, they're not complete in the sight of my God. You've got to get something. Jesus is inferring that their God is not his God. You've got to get that. He's saying, I don't know what you're worshiping, but it's not the Father. It's not the Father. See, because they were off track. They were doing all sorts of stuff that was not accurate. Now, now I, I don't have time to read the whole story of the prodigal son, but many of you guys know this story. This guy's like, hey, I want my inheritance now. Now, think like this. If your parent was alive and you went to your parents and said, I, basically you're saying this, I wish you were dead now so that I could have what's... That's what he did. Then he takes off and he squanders it and he wastes it and he starts to come back and the father was always looking for him. He was always looking. He looks across and he goes, oh, my, and he runs to him and he throws a robe on him. He puts a ring on him. He throws sandals on his feet. These are all types of God's glory and honor on a person who, listen, was dying. Watch what the dad says. I love this. This is Luke 15, 24. He says, for this son of mine was dead, necros. The same word, the son of mine was dead, and he has come to life. Zoe, vibrancy, he's getting a clue. He was lost and he's found, and then they all began to celebrate. See, this is what God thinks of us. So some of you are sitting there going like, whoo, Pastor, beating up on me. I ain't beating up on nothing. If I'm saying something and it's convicting you, thank Jesus that he's loosened his spirit on you to give you a clue. I don't want to stand before God someday and have him go, you did okay, but 
See, believers have this idea that we don't get judged. Yes, you do. We're going to get there. Don't worry. We're going to get there. It's not for another like 15 or 17 chapters or something. We're going to get there. But the judgment of believers is this. What did you do with my son? What did you do with them? Did you go on vacation a lot? Did you never tithe? Did you never serve an orphan or the homeless? Say no to the missions trips? Yeah, you heard pastor asking for help and help and help, and you kept saying no and no and no because there's always a because. How many of you guys have a because? I got a because. I, I can make lots of reasons for why I don't have to do things that God asked me to do. But listen, you say yes. The willingness thing is real, man. It's stewardship. God is really interested in how we steward the opportunities he offers to us. Listen, church, look around this world. If you're not seeing the end of an eon, you're missing some stuff. If you're not watching Israel at war and crisis all over the world, you have a bunch of politician and political analyst people who are saying, we are in World War III, not on the edge of it. You got war all over the world. I got military folk in here, my military folk. Are we on the edge or in it? I can see a couple people going, yeah. Just because there's not stuff being shot yet doesn't mean it's not happening. You should pay attention. You should realize the time is short. Now, am I saying, oh, Jesus, I don't, he said, you know the season. When I look around, I sit back and go, it's pretty hard to miss. You know, if God suffers more time, great. But if not, this looks pretty similar to what I'm reading and studying. And I think for us to be like paying attention, I'm alive, I've got all this and my life's easy and I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want. And God says, really? So those people that you were supposed to minister to, that kid that you were supposed to pray for, the, the youth group that you were supposed to teach, the homeless outreach that you were, you didn't do that. And wow, there's souls on your hands. Whew. Will that happen in heaven? I'm thinking we get judged at some point, I do. Okay, I'm beating you to death. Let's keep going. In Ephesians, Paul said it this way. He said, you were dead, necros. This is chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead in trespass and sin. You used to formerly walk according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all were formerly, we lived in the lust of our flesh, the desires of our flesh and mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And then he goes on to say, but praise be to God, the grace of Jesus, we've been rescued. See, we've got to understand that there's some seriousness about this idea of being, being dead and trespass and sin. So, so quickly, quickly, only because we're running out of time. Illustrations of dead life. How do you know if your life is dead? If it's lifeless, breathing but not vibrant. This would be the first one. Are you lifeless? Are you breathing but not vibrant? Is the life of God alive in you? Are you hungry and passionate about the things of God? Listen, when I started praying about this, I felt like God said to me, you're going through the motions. Yeah, oh man, I show up every week and teach and I love people, I call them, I go visit hospitals, I pray for people. He said, motions, motions. You've lost the passion. I went, I lost the passion. I don't feel like I've lost passion, God. And I said this to you a few weeks ago. If God says you lost something, you what? You lost it. And, and this is what it did for me. So again, anytime Jesus corrects, you got to sit with it. I sat with it and went, how did I lose it? He said, remember the hunger you used to have to share the gospel? Not in the context of church, out about. Walking down the street, testifying about something that God is doing. I want to see that again. I'm like, okay. 
And I started just remembering, like, leading people to Christ at AMPM, giving people burritos and talking to them about Jesus, going to the homeless, just do, but not because it's church, because I love Jesus. And I felt like he started to start, remember? Do you remember? Listen, nothing wrong with church. It's Jesus' bride. Someone say amen. amen. It's beautiful. But all of our spiritual life should not solely revolve around this thing. This is where you get equipped to go do it out there. See, the church should be outside the walls, not inside of it. Come get equipped here. Then go out and bring it there. Is it lifeless? Listen, if it's lifeless, the solution is this. Repent. Jesus said, listen, you're dead. Okay, I'm sorry, Jesus. How do I come to life? Just repent. And when he shows you what it is, you say, I'm sorry for the particular thing. What about this dead life? Is it fruitless? Is your life bearing fruit, spiritual fruit? Like I'm talking in your world, your relationships, with your marriages, with your children, with your friends. Are you shining light in your life? Is it fruitful or is it fruitless? For my single folk, listen, listen. Are you spiritually productive and are you patient while you're waiting on God? Like all three of my kids are single and they're like, I'm okay, dad. One of them's engaged. But all of them are like, I'm waiting on the Lord, which I love hearing that because the worst decision you'll ever make is a hurried spouse. It can ruin your whole life. Your whole life. Go slow. Be patient. Wait on the Lord. Be spiritually productive. I love saying this to young, young people, particularly single. There are things you can do single that you can't do married. There's also things you get to do married that you can't do single. Maximize both. Hello? Maximize them. If you're single, live to the fullest. Paul said, man, I don't get married because I'm after God. By the way, if you study it out, Paul was actually once married in the language in the Greek shows that. But don't have time to build that for you right now, so let's keep going. If you're fruitless, invite the Spirit's control, His work. The fruit of the Spirit is the thing that you're looking for. You're looking for fruitfulness in your spiritual life. What if you're blind? What if you've lost direction, discernment? This would be the next one. Are you blind? Can you discern what God is up to? Like, I've had this said to me maybe too often recently where people say, I'm asking God, but he's not. Okay, as best I understand it, God is not silent. So if there's a gap, I'm going to suggest to you the gap is in you. He never leaves. He never forsakes. He's always talking. Listen, if the rocks will shout out, that means something's talking. Hello? So then I'm going to ask you the question, what is it in you that you're not able to discern? What about your heart? Has it moved away? Your thoughts? Are you entertaining things that are not where God called you to go, but where you want to go? Listen, not even likely evil things. Hello? Most of what traps us as Christians is not the, the, the naked girl or the party down the street with the boy or the crazy. It's not that. It's not the thieving and the stealing. It's the subtle turns, the small things, the incremental things where we just leave what God said to do. Small stuff. Man, how you guys doing? You guys are like, ooh, this is serious stuff. It is serious stuff. This is a dead church, and God is trying to bring it back to life. If this is happening in you, I'm hoping that he's stirring you back to life. Listen, the solution for this, this sense of not hearing blindness, ask God to open the eyes of your heart, just like Paul prayed in Ephesians 1. 
Open the eyes of my heart that I'd see your glory. Like you've got to get a vision of who God is. The last one is this. Are you self-consumed and selfish? These are other things that just are illustrations of dead life. Is it all about you? Are you the centerpiece of your world or is Christ? Remember Paul said to live as Christ, to die is what? Gain. You're like, but I got some good stuff on the earth, pastor. I don't want to give it up quite yet. And he's like, yeah, that stuff is hindering you big. There's nothing wrong with nice cars and houses. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with nice clothes and smelling pretty. Nothing wrong with it. Actually, I like it when you guys smell good because y'all hug me. I like it when you smell good. I'm just saying, it's good. I like it when you smell good. Reality is this. That ain't going to get you into heaven. It won't. It won't. Are you self-consumed? Listen, if you're self-consumed, look for opportunities to serve others. That's the solution. Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you become a servant. The command. Oh, man. Okay, I'm going to go fast. Put your seatbelts on, church. Jesus said this, verse 3, Remember. Remember what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. <laughs> Remember. Behold the memory of what it was. Remember. Remember what you were given, what you laid hold of. Remember. And then he said, keep it. Don't let it go. And then he said this, and repent for where you didn't do it. That, that's literally what he's given you a roadmap. He says, therefore, if you don't wake up, if you're not paying attention to what I'm telling you, I will come like a thief, and you will not know the hour in which I'm going to come. It'll be so quick, so sudden, so like, boom, and you'll be like, I missed it? Man, how many people have said to me over the years, you know, once I get this all dialed in, I'm going to walk with God. Once I get this dialed in, Pastor, I'll be at church every Sunday. Yeah, 10 years ago, seven years ago, five years, like never. Did they land somewhere else? Maybe. I hope they did. But I hear that story so often. Once I get to this, then I will. See, that one of the keys to growing spiritually is stewardship. What has God given you today? You build the today, he gives you tomorrow. You don't steward today, you don't get tomorrow. We want greater things without stewarding the smaller things. That's how God works. He builds us. Remember, repent. Man, if I asked you right now to think differently about your faith, like would your faith grow or would it shrink? Like if you're thinking spiritually, would you change the way you're walking with Jesus or would you say, I'm good? I would suggest to you that there are some areas we need to pay attention to, yeah? See, that's what, like, I'm not trying to beat you down. Let, let me be nice for a second. Jesus loves y'all. Jesus loves me this. I know, listen, I'm just trying to help you guys. When we pay attention to the areas that we ignore, those are the ones that are the most dangerous when you ignore them. See, because the first time God says, hey, it's usually pretty clear. You ever had God correct you, and it's kind of like obscure? You're kind of, huh, I don't know. It's not usually like that. Usually when God comes and says, pay attention, it's usually very loud and clear. But you know, after he's done it four, five, 10, 30 times, it's a lot harder to hear it. A lot harder. I'm just suggesting you don't be deaf to what he might be saying. Because when you are deaf to it, it's harder to hear it later down the line. It says, Jesus is going to come suddenly without warning. Now, I don't know about you. This, this scares me. It keeps me in check. Check. It makes me walk around thinking, 
don't do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to break his heart. I don't want to miss the opportunity to serve people. I'm not getting, listen, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about all the things we're doing. I'm talking about the heart that motivates what we're doing. That's what I'm talking to you about. Actions flow from the heart. Language flows from the heart. Thinking flows from the heart. How's your heart? That's what I'm asking you. Then he comes with the promise. I love this about God. He says, but you still have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. He's using the language of their region. You guys dye stuff. You can make wool pure white. You got people who haven't made a mess of things. And listen, and they're going to walk with me in white in purity because they're worthy. No soiled garments. Like I said, Sardis was known for this. Like Jesus is saying this. And don't just be good at the natural stuff that benefits you. Be good at the spiritual stuff that transforms you. Be good at the spiritual stuff that makes you like Jesus. You know, it's obvious Jesus is not okay with this church. Is this clear? Help me, church. Is it clear he's not okay? You're dead. Repent. Return. Pay attention. Your works are not complete. My God, not your God, my God. He's drawn up a lot of lines on this that are like, whoo, man. You, like, and then he says this, but he who overcomes, I'll clothe him in white garments. You'll be pure. White is always purity. Garments are always covering, protection. And I will not, ah, scary, watch this. I'll not erase his name from the book of life. I mean, my name can be erased? See, this is a scary verse. You got to get, this is a scary verse. This is one of those verses when I tell people you're eternally secure. I read that verse, and those words are in red. And I go, hmm. If Jesus says the name can be erased, that means it can be what? I don't like that. Like, I, I doesn't fit my theology. It doesn't fit my doctrine. I don't like the way that makes me feel. Amen. <laughs> it's scary. But, but what if it's not driven out of, I'm going to get you, but it's driven out of, I want to keep you? That's what, see, you got to get. Jesus' heart is not to whoop up on him. His heart is, you should really pay attention because I don't want you to miss anything. I don't want you to miss the holiness that comes from God. I don't want you to miss the covering that comes from God. Like, like if you're in, you, maybe you can be out. What does Jesus mean here? I think he means this. He's clearly being serious. He's clearly trying to give us a warning. He's clearly trying to say this. Don't just assume you're fine. He's clearly saying that. Don't just assume that everything you're doing is all perfect. Man, there, there, listen, there, there's a, a verse in Matthew chapter 10. It says this. He says, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I'll confess before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I'll also deny him before my Father in heaven. You're like, but I, I confess Jesus. Does your, your lifestyle line up with his direction for you? Is your heart totally surrendered? That's what I'm asking. Now, listen, can I, can I give you a little bit of breather, just a quick breather? No one's heart is fully surrendered. You're like, no, Pastor, I am too. Now, you might be doing better than others. Every one of us has areas that Jesus is still saying, bow it down. Lord, every one of us, I don't care who you are. Every one of us has areas that he's saying, lay it down. Lay down the attitude. Lay down the, the whatever, exalt yourself. Lay down the pride. Lay down the position. Lay, lay, honor me. Honor me. Every one of us has those areas. Now, my hope for you is that you're much further along. It's not like you've got a list of 700 of them. Hey, you want to answer the door? Somebody's ringing. Um, <laughs> that's Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. <laughs> 
I wish I would have caught that first. That would have been funny. <laughs> I understand the idea of being secure. How about you guys? You guys like that Jesus loves you, yeah. that you're in him? That Yeah, me too. But I don't want you to be secure in an idea or a doctrine. I want you to be secure in a lifestyle. So I preach this so that your heart checks itself. Am I where God wants me to be? No one's perfect. We already talked about that. Like I like something, uh, Pastor Russ said this to me, that he, he heard Pastor Linda from East Avenue, who's with the Lord today. He said, she said, um, God isn't, um, what is it? God isn't looking for perfection. He's looking for excellence. Is your walk with him excellent? Like you can only give him what you got. Can't give him what you don't got. Are you giving him what you got? Let him build into you the other stuff. But are you giving him what you've got? Is it possible that your confession is not Jesus, but some form of Jesus? Is it possible that the thing that you're promoting as your walk with God is actually something that makes you comfortable rather than honoring him? I think it's possible. I'm asking you to check. Is that happening to me? How would you know the, the difference? I think being with the Lord, being before him, Inviting his presence, inviting his correction. Listen, you got to get this about Jesus, and I'm going to wrap up with this. Jesus is not saying this so that you will be afraid. Somebody should say amen to that. He's not saying this because perfect love casts out fear, remember? He's not saying it so that you'll be afraid like, am I in or out? I'm in today because I did good. I fed a homeless person. I'm out late. I got an argument with my wife. That stupid woman, God. And, you know, being facetious. But no, it's not an in and out thing. It's... Are you, are you with Jesus and are you hearing him tell you what's correct, not so that you'll be afraid, but so that you will be aware and ultimately secure? He's saying it for the purpose of security. He's making sure that we all know that if we're missing it, he loves us enough to correct us. And I don't know about you guys, and I'll wrap with this. I, like sometimes I marvel at the idea that God lets me be a Bible teacher and a pastor. I do. Like you guys see the polished Sunday morning. I ain't going to lie to you. You guys see the polished. You guys see the guy who comes in. You know, usually my hair is trimmed up. It's a little long right now. But anyways, usually I look okay. I come in trying to, you know, and I preach the Bible okay. I've learned over years and I've studied a lot. So you guys see the polished, but you don't see the attitude of heart behind it. You don't see the times I'm struggling to get here and then share the goodness of God when I'm struggling to believe it myself. See, this is the journey of walking with Jesus as an impure, imperfect person who's called the righteousness of God and towing those things in tension. Notice I said tension, not balance, because they pull you to either extreme. Oh, I'm not worthy. I'm the worst Christian ever. Oh, I can't even believe. Or it's like, you're the righteousness of God. You can conquer the world. Demand the kingdom of God to come forth. Got that going on in me at the same time. Anybody else? That sense that there's more and you're struggling to grab it? See, listen, how do you walk in that? With humility. That's how you walk in that. God, I don't get why I feel righteous and unrighteous at the same time. I don't get it. But I know you're for me and I know you love me. And I know you've called me your own. I know you don't want me to live and operate in fear. I know you want me to walk as a person of light above reproach. I know that you are a God of grace. So I want to walk in grace. I beat you guys up enough today. Kind of. <laughs> I, got one on, I got one honest person. Okay, well, now that I beat you up, 
<laughs> Beat us up some more. That's weird. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, what do I want you to do with this message? Ask the Lord. That's what I want you to do. Am I dead? But I think I'm alive. Am I dead? Am I entertaining some form of godliness that is not Jesus? Listen, I'm going to suggest this to you. All of us are, at some level, entertaining something that is not God-honoring. Now listen, listen. Don't go hunting for demons under every rock. When God shows you, lay it down before him. Jesus said, listen, when you see it's wrong, repent. Don't go chasing around for stuff. Just bow your heart, God. Let's do it together. Let's close in prayer. Let's do it together. Let's do it together. I'll show you how I do it when I'm alone with the Lord. It's not going to be all like, woo. It's just going to be me. But maybe you'll learn a little bit from it, how to present your heart before God. So let's pray together. Father, I want to come together in just as a group, but also individually. God, search my heart. Know my heart, God. See if there's anything wicked in me, God. And I don't want to make them up, God. I don't want to make up wicked things. I want to listen to your spirit. I want to listen to your heart. God, if there's something dead, make me aware. Holy Spirit, I invite you. I give you permission to speak to me. I give you permission to correct me, to love me to the truth. God, I ask that you would operate where, where I reverence you, but I don't live in fear. Where I regard you as the God who is holy, holy, holy but I don't operate afraid of you. God, draw me close like a son. Speak to me truth. Let me hear it. God, I want to agree with, with what Jesus said. To him who has ears, let him hear. God, I want to hear. Jesus, and, and as you show me stuff, I just want to bow my heart and say, I'm sorry. As you show me stuff, I want to bring it quickly. I don't want to bring it in a day or two days or ten days. I want to live a surrendered life, a heart that is devoted to you. I want the scriptures that speak out, you know, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro on the earth, seeking to strengthen the hearts of those who are fully committed to you. God, I want to be fully committed to you. So help me to know. Help me to know. Search my heart and know it. And God, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for grace. Thank you for the Spirit's presence that leads me and helps me to know, that convicts me of sin. God, thank you for the strength that comes from you that helps me to walk, even if it's only by limp, but to walk with you. And God, as we go today, I, I pray that we'd go this way. The gospel has come to change the hearts of men. It's come for that reason. And God, we want to walk in the fullness of it. The fullness of it, not portions, the fullness of it. So lead us, each one of us individually, us together as a church, so that we can honor you and shine light for you. God, we love you. We worship you. And we invite you. Have your way in each one of us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I love you guys. If you need to talk, you need prayer. Whatever it might be, we're here for you. So you can sneak up front, and there'll be somebody here to pray for you. If you are doing well and you just go, be blessed. Know that God is for you. If he's for you, nothing can be against you. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.